Welcome to Fast Asleep. We're so happy you're with us. We ask you to forgive us for just a minute while we make a quick announcement. You remember this medical leave thing that came up, but guess what? It's not over yet. As a matter of fact, it's really just starting. We always try very hard to get you regular episodes, but due to the medical situation, we may not have an episode ready for you each week. It may be closer to every other. It won't be this way forever, we promise. And you know what? We really appreciate your kind words and good thoughts. Thank you so much. Now, let's get on to our next two episodes. And our author, Joyce Carol Oates, the recipient of the National Book Award, two O. Henry Awards, and the National Humanities Medal. Oh, this lovely woman is just 83 years young, and she taught at Princeton for 36 years, and she is currently teaching short fiction at Berkeley. Lucky Berkeley students. Hey, scroll back to episodes 42 and 43 of Fast Asleep, and you will hear her short story entitled Upon the Sweeping Flood. It's so good. It was written in 1966, and guess what? Today's story was also written in 66. Oh, you won't miss it. Just from the phone references and something about dialing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> here we go. Bringing you another memorable story from Joyce Carol Oates. Tuck in, everybody, and enjoy part one of Where Are You Going? And Where Have You Been? Her name was Connie. She was 15, and she had a quick, nervous, giggling habit of craning her neck to glance into mirrors or checking other people's faces to make sure her own was all right. Her mother, who noticed everything and knew everything, and who hadn't much reason any longer to look at her own face, always scolded Connie about it. Oh, stop gawking at yourself. Who are you? You think you're so pretty? She would say. Connie would raise her eyebrows at these familiar old complaints and look right through her mother into a shadowy vision of herself as she was right at that moment. She knew she was pretty and that was everything. Her mother had been pretty once too, if you could believe those old snapshots in the album. But now her looks were gone, and that was why she was always after Connie. Why don't you keep your room clean like your sister? Oh, how have you got your hair fixed? Oh, what the hell stinks? <gasps> Hairspray? You don't see your sister using that junk. Her sister June was 24 and still lived at home. She was a secretary in the high school Connie attended. And if that wasn't bad enough, with her in the same building, oh dear, she was so plain and chunky and steady that Connie had to hear her praised all the time by her mother, oh, and her mother's sisters. June did this. June did that. 
She saved money and helped clean the house and cooked, and Connie couldn't do a thing. Her mind was all filled with trashy daydreams. Their father was away at work most of the time, and when he came home, he wanted supper, and he read the newspaper at supper, and after supper, he went to bed. He didn't bother talking much to them. But around his bent head, Connie's mother kept picking at her <sighs> until Connie wished her mother was dead and she herself was dead and it was all over. Oh, she makes me want to throw up sometimes, she complained to her friends. She had a high, breathless, amused voice that made everything she said sound a little forced, whether it was sincere or not. There was one good thing. June went places with girlfriends of hers, girls who were just as plain and steady as she was. And so when Connie wanted to do that, well, her mother had no objections. The father of Connie's best friend drove the girls the three miles to town and left them at a shopping plaza so they could walk through the stores or go to a movie. And when he came to pick them up again at 11, he never bothered to ask what they had done. <laughs> well, they must have been familiar sights walking around the shopping plaza in their shorts and flat ballerina slippers that always scuffed the sidewalk with charm bracelets jingling on their thin wrists. <laughs> they would lean together to whisper and laugh secretly if someone passed who amused or interested them. Connie had long, dark blonde hair that drew anyone's eye to it, and she wore part of it pulled up on her head and puffed out, and the rest of it she let fall down her back. Um, she wore a pullover jersey blouse that looked one way when she was at home and another way when she was away from home. Everything about her had two sides to it, one for home and one for anywhere that was not home. Her walk, which could be childlike and bobbing or languid enough to make anyone think she was hearing music in her head. Her mouth, which was pale and smirking most of the time, but bright and pink on these evenings out. Her laugh, which was cynical and drawling at home. Ha ha, very funny, but high-pitched and nervous anywhere else, like the jingling of the charms on her bracelet. Well, sometimes they did go shopping or to a movie, but sometimes they went across the highway, ducking fast across the busy road to a drive-in restaurant where older kids hung out. The restaurant was shaped like a big bottle, though squatter than a real bottle, and on its cap was a revolving figure of a grinning boy holding a hamburger aloft. Hmm. One night in midsummer, they ran across breathless with daring, and right away someone leaned out a car window and invited them over, but oh, geez. It was just a boy from high school they didn't even like. It made them feel good to be able to ignore 
him. They went up through the maze of parked and cruising cars to the bright-lit, fly-infested restaurant, their faces pleased and expectant as if they were entering a sacred building that loomed up out of the night to give them what haven and blessing they yearned for. They sat at the counter and crossed their legs at the ankles, their thin shoulders rigid with excitement, and listened to the music that made everything so good. The music was always in the background, like music at a church service. It was something to depend upon. A boy named Eddie came in to talk with them. He sat backwards on the stool, turning himself jerkily in semicircles and then stopping and turning back again. And Well, after a while, he asked Connie if she would like something to eat. Well, she said she would, and so she tapped her friend's arm on her way out. Her friend pulled her face up into a brave, droll look, and Connie said she would meet her at 11 across the way. Oh, I just hate to leave her like that, Connie said earnestly. But the boy said that she wouldn't be alone for long. Mm-hmm. So they went out to his car and on the way, Connie couldn't help but let her eyes wander over the windshields and faces all around her. Her face gleaming with a joy that really had nothing to do with Eddie, or even this place. It might have been the music. She drew her shoulders up and sucked in her breath with the pure pleasure of being alive. And just at that moment, she happened to glance at a face just a few feet from hers. Hmm. It was a boy with shaggy black hair in a convertible jalopy painted gold. He stared at her, and then his lips widened into a grin. Well, Connie slit her eyes at him and turned away, but she couldn't help glancing back, and there he was, still watching her. He wagged a finger and laughed and said, gonna get you, baby. Ooh. And Connie turned away again without Eddie noticing anything. She spent three hours with him at the restaurant where they ate hamburgers and drank Cokes in those wax cups that were always sweating, and then down an alley a mile or so away. And when he left her off at 5 to 11, only the movie house was still open at the plaza. Her girlfriend was there, talking with a boy. When Connie came up, the two girls smiled at each other, and Connie said, How was the movie? And the girl said, You should know. They rode off with the girl's father, sleepy and pleased, and Connie couldn't help but look back at the darkened shopping plaza with its big empty parking lot and its signs that were faded and ghostly now. And over at the drive-in restaurant, where the cars were still circling tirelessly. She couldn't hear the music 
at this distance. Next morning, June asked her how the movie was, and Connie said, so-so. She and that girl and occasionally another girl went out several times a week, and the rest of the time Connie spent around the house. It was summer vacation, getting in her mother's way and thinking, dreaming about the boys she met. But all the boys fell back and dissolved into a single face. It was not even a face, but an idea, a feeling, mixed up with the urgent, insistent pounding of the music and the humid night air of July. Connie's mother kept dragging her back to the daylight by finding things for her to do or saying suddenly, what's this about the Pettinger girl? Oh, and Connie would say nervously, oh, her, that dope. She always drew thick, clear lines between herself and such girls. And her mother was simple and kind enough to believe it. Her mother was so simple, Connie thought, that it was maybe cruel to fool her so much. Her mother went scuffling around the house in her old bedroom slippers and complained over the telephone to one sister about the other. Oh, and then the other called up and the two of them complained about the third one. If June's name was mentioned, oh, her mother's tone was approving. And if Connie's name was mentioned, it was disapproving. This did not really mean she disliked Connie. And actually, Connie thought that her mother preferred her to June just because, well, she was prettier. But the two of them, well, they kept up a pretense of exasperation, a sense that they were tugging and struggling over something of little value to either of them. Sometimes over coffee, well, they were almost friends. <sighs> but something would come up, some vexation that was like a fly buzzing suddenly around their heads, and their faces went hard with contempt. One Sunday, Connie got up at 11, none of them bothered with church, and washed her hair so that it could dry all day long in the sun. Her parents and sister were going to a barbecue at an aunt's house, and Connie said no, she wasn't interested, rolling her eyes to let her mother know just what she thought of it. We'll stay home alone then, her mother said sharply. Connie sat out back in a lawn chair and watched them drive away. Her father, quiet and bald, hunched around so that he could back the car out. Her mother, with a look that was mm, still angry and not at all softened through the windshield. And in the back seat, oh, poor old June, all dressed up as if she didn't know what a barbecue was with all the running, yelling kids and, oh, the flies. Connie sat with her eyes closed in the sun, dreaming and dazed with the warmth about her as if this were a kind of love, the caresses of love. 
and her mind slipped over onto thoughts of the boy she had been with the night before and how nice he had been, how sweet it always was. Not the way someone like June would suppose, but sweet, gentle, the way it was in movies and promised in songs. And when she opened her eyes, well, she hardly knew where she was. The backyard ran off into weeds and a fence-like line of trees, and behind it, well, the sky was perfectly blue and still. The asbestos ranch house, that was now three years old, startled her. It looked small. She shook her head as if to get awake. Oh, it was too hot. She went inside the house and turned on the radio to drown out the quiet. She sat on the edge of her bed barefoot and listened for an hour and a half to a program called XYZ Sunday Jamboree. Record after record of hard, fast, shrieking songs. She sang along with, interspersed by exclamations from Bobby King. And look here, you girls at Napoleon's. Son and Charlie want you to pay real close attention to this song coming up. And Connie paid close attention herself, bathed in a glow of slow-pulsed joy that seemed to rise mysteriously out of that music itself and lay languidly about the airless little room. Breathed in and breathed out with each gentle rise and fall of her chest. After a while, she heard a car coming up the drive. Oh, she sat up at once, startled, because it couldn't be her father so soon. Oh, the gravel kept crunching all the way in from the road. The driveway was long. And Connie ran to the window. It was a car. A car she didn't know. It was an open jalopy painted a bright gold that caught the sunlight opaquely. Her heart began to pound and her fingers snatched at her hair, checking it, and she whispered, Christ, Christ, wondering how bad she looked. The car came to a stop at the side door, and then the horn sounded four short taps, as if this was a signal Connie knew. Well, she went into the kitchen and approached the door slowly, then hung out the screen door, her bare toes curling down off the step. There were two boys in the car, and now she recognized the driver. He had a shaggy, shabby, black hair thing going on that looked crazy as a wig, and he was grinning at her. I ain't late, am I? He said. Who the hell do you think you are? Connie said. Told you I'd be out, didn't I? I don't even know who you are. She spoke sullenly, careful to show no interest or pleasure, and he spoke in a fast, bright, monotone. Connie looked past him to the other boy, taking her time. He had fair brown hair with a lock that fell onto his forehead. His sideburns gave him a fierce, 
embarrassed look, but so far he hadn't even bothered to glance at her. Both boys wore sunglasses, the driver's glasses were metallic, and mirrored everything in miniature. You want to come for a ride? He said. Connie smirked and let her hair fall loose over one shoulder. Don't you like my car? New paint job, he said. Hey, what? You're cute. She pretended to fidget, chasing flies away from the door. Don't you believe me or what? He said. Look, I don't even know who you are, Connie said in disgust. Hey, Ellie's got a radio, see? Mine broke down. He lifted his friend's arm and showed her the little transistor radio the boy was holding, and now Connie began to hear the music. It was the same program that was playing inside the house. Bobby King, she said. I listen to him all the time. I think he's great. Yeah, he's kind of great, Connie said reluctantly. Listen, that guy's great. He knows where the action is. Connie blushed a little because the glasses made it impossible for her to see just what this boy was looking at. She couldn't decide if she liked him or if he was just a jerk. And so she dawdled in the doorway and wouldn't come down or go back inside. She said, What's all that stuff painted on your car? Can't you read it? He opened the door very carefully, as if he were afraid it might fall off. He slid out just as carefully, planting his feet firmly on the ground, the tiny metallic world in his glasses slowing down like gelatin hardening, and in the midst of it, Connie's bright green blouse. Now this here is my name to begin with, he said. Arnold Friend was written in it, in a tar-like black lettering on the side, with a drawing of a round, grinning face that reminded Connie of a pumpkin, except it wore sunglasses. I want to introduce myself. I'm Arnold Friend, and that's my real name. And I'm going to be your friend, honey. And inside the cars, Ellie Oscar. Okay, now he's kind of shy. Ellie brought his transistor radio up to his shoulder and balanced it there. Now, these numbers are a secret code, honey, Arnold Friend explained. He read off the numbers 33, 19, 17. And he raised his eyebrows at her to see what she thought of that. But she didn't think much of it. The left rear fender had been smashed, and around it was written on the gleaming gold background, done by crazy woman driver. <laughs> Connie had to laugh at that. Arnold Friend was pleased at her laughter and looked up at her. Around the other side's a lot more. You want to come and see them? No. Why not? Why should I? Ah, oh, don't you want to see what's on the car? Don't you want to go for a ride? I don't know. Oh, why not? I got things to do. Like what? Things 
he laughed as if she had said something funny. He slapped his thighs, and he was standing in a strange way, leaning back against the car as if he were balancing himself. He wasn't tall, only an inch or so taller than she would be if she came down to him. Connie liked the way he dressed, which was the way all of them dressed. Tight faded jeans stuffed into black scuffed boots, a belt that pulled his waist in and showed how lean he was, and a white pullover shirt that was a little soiled and showed the hard, small muscles of his arms and shoulders. He looked as if he probably did hard work lifting and carrying things. Even his neck looked muscular. And his face was a familiar face somehow. The jaw and chin and cheeks slightly darkened because, well, he hadn't shaved for a day or two. (laughs) And the nose, long and hawk-like, sniffing. Yeah, sniffing as if she were a treat he was going to gobble up. And it was all a joke. (laughs) Connie, Connie, you ain't telling the truth. This is your day. Set aside for a ride with me. And you know it, he said. And then he was still laughing. The way he straightened and recovered from his fit of laughing showed that it had all been fake. How do you know what my name is? She said suspiciously. Oh, it's Connie. Maybe and maybe not. Well, I know my Connie, he said, wagging his finger. Now she remembered him even better back at the restaurant, and her cheeks warmed at the thought of how she had sucked in her breath just at the moment she passed him. Oh, how she must have looked to him, and he had remembered her. Ellie and I come out here especially for you, he said. Ellie can sit in the back. How about it? Where? Where what? Where are we going? He looked at her. He took off the sunglasses, and she saw how pale the skin around his eyes was, like holes that were not in shadow, but instead in light. His eyes, they were like chips of broken glass that caught the light in an amiable way. He smiled. It was as if the idea of going for a ride somewhere to some place was a new idea to him. Just a ride, Connie, sweetheart. I never said my name was Connie, she said. (laughs) Yeah, but I know what it is. I know your name and all about you. Lots of things, Arnold Friend said. He had not moved yet, but stood still, leaning back against the side of his jalopy. I took a special interest in you. Such a pretty girl. And uh, I found out all about you like I I know who you was with last night and uh, I know your parents and your sister they're gone somewheres and I know where 
and how long they're going to be gone, and your best friend's name. She's uh, Betty, right? He spoke in a simple, lilting voice, exactly as if he were reciting the words to a song. His smile assured her that everything was fine. In the car, Ellie turned up the volume on his radio and did not bother to look around at them. Ellie can sit in the back seat, Arnold Friend said. He indicated his friend with a casual jerk of his chin, as if Ellie didn't count, and she should not bother with him. How'd you find out all that stuff? Connie said. And that's where we'll stop today. Do not miss the conclusion. Good night.